we're going to talk about something that I think many of you, how many of you, how many of you ever played golf? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you ever played ball? Period. Raise your hand. All right. Well, at least some of you will understand what I'm talking about today. First Peter chapter four. What we're going to talk about is for the believer, for those who are in Jesus, we're supposed to be serving Jesus in our sweet spot. Now, First <clears throat> Peter 4, I want to I read to you just a couple of verses, and then we're going to look into that chapter in light of our sweet spot. Verse 1, so then... Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that Jesus had and be ready to suffer as well or suffer too. For if you're willing to suffer for Christ, you have decided to stop sinning and you won't spend the rest of your life Chasing after evil desires. But you will be anxious to do, you hear me? To do the will of God. Now, it's one thing to know the will of God. But to do the will of God is something altogether. It's something to know about golf, okay? But it's another thing to play golf. You know, I, I don't profess to be a, this professional golf. These golf balls, I brought them to you because that's my first whole bag of golf balls. Now, anybody that plays golf knows what that means. That means I'm going to lose that amount on the first hole. It's not quite that bad, but the last tournament we played in, Jeff, myself, and a couple others, it, it got serious. I mean, golf, you need, to be a, you need to be a mature believer to play it. Because if you don't, this game will cause you to cuss worse than anything that I know, except a lawnmower that won't start. And, but on this golf club, I have learned, Joe says this one's too long for me. Maybe it is. It's about half as tall as I am. But there's a sweet spot on this golf club. Matter of fact, I've gone to the link, link that I have a wrench that adjusts my sweet spot it, it, to a fade or to a draw. It don't do any good. I, could, I believe I could hit it with whatever club I have in the bag some days, and it just don't do any good because I don't know where that ball's going. But there are times that I act like it. When I find the sweet spot, in this club, and I line up. I thought about putting one of those golf balls and hit it over your head, but I didn't think that would be a smart idea because I worm burn a few. You know what that means? That means it'd knock out 40 of you before it got to the back wall. And so, but there is a sweet spot, and if you play golf enough, you know that that sweet spot means something to you, that your ball, the maxim, maximal advancement of your ball is going to be a whole lot better. Now, some of you say you've played uh, softball, baseball, whatever. Well, then you know that there's a sweet spot on that bat. And that if you hit it in the sweet spot, swing at the right 
velocity and the right levelness, the ball is going to go. Now, I coach a little team uh, on, the, on the children's side on the, gosh, I, I, I'll be honest. I have to confess, inside I am so competitive. I saw myself in Austin the other day when this team was so close. And, and he said, man, I'm about to explode. I said, I explode like that during practice because I expect everybody to catch, to be able to throw. And the parents were getting a little agitated me the other day. And so I said, guys, I'm just going to show you why I don't readily tell them right now to throw it. I said, hey, Hunter, catch this. It liked to knock his glasses off. I said, Madeline, here you go. I threw it to her, and I liked to took her head off. These guys got gloves on. And we're playing games. I had, what, a week, and and we're playing games. I'm going, good night. Let's see if we can just catch it on the ground. Roll it. Roll it so nobody gets killed. But then I saw uh, Gary Chambers' team yesterday, and he's feeding them some kind of high-potent protein food, and they're knocking balls almost nearly over the fence. I'm going, oh, my goodness. And Tyler's team had us two to nothing yesterday, and thank God it rained because we, wouldn't, we, we had it two to zero. And, and inside of me, I'll be honest with you, my sweet spot, sometimes it's the will of Mike, and I want to beat you, but I can't. And, and sometimes I get so frustrated. I even got so frustrated, I think I told Candace yesterday, move me up next year to the middle school. I got to be with somebody can catch, that can hit, and that can spit and play. I, but anyway, I think we all have a little bit of that in us. But one thing about golf, it individualizes you. You're, you're going to be as good as you practice. And it's just going to be you. And before long, if you don't learn this game, this, this club, I promise, won't be straight. It'll have a curve in it. Because you're going to wrap it around a tree or throw your clubs in a lake. You're going to quit. Well, you see, sometimes we do that in the spiritual life. Because we do, in serving Jesus, we get frustrated sometimes. We get the feeling like they're not doing it quick enough for us or they're not doing it our way or, or things are just not going right or my attitude's wrong or I'm not responding right. I think that's what Peter was kind of looking at. And, and I want you to... I want you to uh, listen just for a few minutes. Back in the day when actually they sent astronauts to the moon, one of the astronauts was being uh, interviewed before he left, and the question was asked, after you get to the moon, what what are you supposed to do? And one of the guys says, well... When we get to the moon, we're, we're to do all these things. And when, it's, when we get ready to leave, we all go out and get in our lunar module, fire the rockets, the engine, and it will lift us off the face of the moon and bring us back home. Well, the reporter was kind of smart and said, what happens if the rockets don't fire? What happens if the engines don't start? He said, well, what are you going to do for those six or so times of you guys together? 
How long do you have in that lunar module? He said, we have six hours of oxygen. He said, well, what are you going to do? He said, I promise you this. For those six hours, if those rockets don't fire and those engines don't crank, we're going to be working like crazy to see to it that we get them started. You see, their life depended on that. And see, when it comes to you and I, there's one thing that we know for certain, and we're going to hear a verse here that Peter knew this as well, and that life does come to an end. A man named Tony Allison came into my office four months ago and said, Mike, I'm fixing to die. Well, honestly, he didn't look like it. But this week, he convinced me. In his marine marine outfit laying in a coffin, four months ago, I didn't believe it. But this last week, when I did his funeral, I believed it. You see, life's going to come up one day. The clock's ticking for all of us. And one day, that clock is going to stop. And if you're a believer, you've got to understand that it's going to end in one or two ways. Either we're going to die and go to be with Jesus, or Jesus is going to come back and get us. But here's the thing. Whether it's six hours, six days, or 60 years, you and and I have been divinely been given a sweet spot. And we're supposed to find it. And we're supposed to live in that sweet spot. Now, what is that sweet spot? Well, look at 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Peter believed that. It didn't happen. Peter's with Jesus. But the world is coming to a close. Therefore, he says, be earnest and disciplined in your prayer. And in verse 2, he says, then you won't spend the rest of your life chasing after evil desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. I believe that I'm accurate. I believe that I'm dead on. Even when sometimes when I point, I go to the sweet spot on my club and I line up on the on the tee, and and I'm looking down the fairway, and then I hit it, and it goes left or right. Left to the woods or right to the woods. I had all intentions of hitting the sweet spot, hitting that ball square as it went through and go down the fairway. Then it goes left or right, and I go, scratch my head. What happened? Well, just because I didn't hit the sweet spot doesn't mean there's not one. And just because we may know what the will of God is doesn't mean you're doing it. And so today, I want us in our face to look at what Peter means of what is the sweet spot. And I believe the the sweet spot for your life and mine spiritually is doing the will of God. Now, I'm going to ask you like the reporter asked the astronauts, a parent question. Are you doing the will of God for your life? Are you? Well, if we are, then he brings about in this passage some things that ought to be taking place. And I'm telling you, some of these things we're dealing with 
on the sports field. We're dealing with on our jobs. We're dealing with our kids. The one thing that he says, look, if you're actually living in the complete will of God, if you're working in the sweet spot of your life, then you will effectively have your affections exemplified in a way that you'll see it. Well, you say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, first of all, let's look at our affections. Verse 8, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sin. Now, that's a, that's a verse that, man, it, it's sometimes a little difficult to deal with. Because I tell you something, the, according to 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest gift ever given to any of us is love, right? Well, we know how to spell love. We know what we think love is. But how do we express love? Because when it comes to love here, Peter says, look, Love covers a multitude of sin. I, honestly, I don't know how to explain that except with my kids. I don't know how to explain that except with my grandkids. Because sometimes I think that when we take it to other people, we're not so we're not so giving. We're hard on people. And sometimes people are hard on us. You see, Jesus realized and he taught Peter that the sweet spot is defined in one word and he calls it serving. Now, how do we serve? We serve with a heart and a life of love. Now, Jesus tells us in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what? But to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. We see Jesus all throughout the Bible. 5,000 people, we see him creating such a big banquet out of five loaves and two fishes. We see Jesus sitting in the dirt, and here comes some kids. And the disciples got all bung-fuzzled and said, Whoa, whoa, men, stop it. Unless you come like these little children unto me, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was doing something pretty serious, and all of a sudden he interrupted everything because of the need of of one woman who had a physical illness, and he took care of that. Everything you find, Jesus, all the way going to the cross, he did it not for himself. He did it for you. He was serving you. And in turn, he expects you and I to serve. I want to ask you three questions. Because if this doesn't get in your face, then it hadn't done any good. Number one, where are you serving? Well, Mike, I serve on my job, really. Really? Most jobs today won't even let you mention Jesus. Really? You are? Are you trusted? Are you being, wherever you sit or wherever you stay or wherever you stand or wherever you serve on this earth, are you really trusted by Jesus? 
to share it. I'm not talking about taking the King James Version or any other version and hitting them over the head with the Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, we get excited about a lot of things, and the word affection talks about our passion. Look, I have a passion for so many things. I got a passion for too many things. But apparently, I've got a passion for this county, or I wouldn't be able to stay in one spot for 30 years. Man, I got preacher friends. I promise you, they would not stay in a church for 30 years if, if it meant their life. One friend of mine, he's, passed, he's preached in this pulpit. He never lasted long in three and a half years in any church. Is that a bad thing? Well, it would be for me because I can't even get to know your name in three and a half years. Matter of fact, I don't know all your names in 30 years. I'm a slow learner. Good thing I went to public school. Second of all, who am I serving? It's one thing to know whether you're serving, but who you serve. Are you really serving Jesus? Can he count on you? And when? Are you serving? You see, I, I want us to look because I really do believe that to serve is just not to do. A servant is what you are when you become a follower of Christ. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of, or not of yourselves, lest any man should boast, or not of works, but it's a gift. But then he goes on to say that we are his workmanship created unto what? Good works. So you know what that means? If we follow Jesus, then we must understand that we have an affection not for what we are passionate about, but what he is passionate about. It's people. Well, people sometimes are difficult. Now, I've learned this being a pastor, especially here for 30 years. Some of you guys get along well, but some of you, I can't put you in the same room. And I definitely couldn't put you as a coach and assistant coach because you're too much alike. You got to put opposites on those positions. You got to have one that's bold and one that'll keep their mouth shut. You put two bold people coaching the team, and you got a real problem. I mean, a real problem, especially with me. But you see, when it comes to church folk, I've learned after not just 30 years, more like 40, 41, sometimes y'all can be a little difficult, especially if I don't say something just right or teach it just right or I don't teach something you don't like, or it's against what you believe. What some people do, if it's against what they believe, rather than talking to you about it, they just leave. Well, that's okay, too. If that's what you want to do, feel led to do, fine. But remember, people are watching your walk. They're not listening to you talk. They listen to your walk. Well, some of you can give Give a, a mighty fine lesson. Some of you can really reveal the Word of God, but your walk stinks. And it's important how we walk, not necessarily what we talk. You see, Jesus said, serving is not just an action, it's an attitude of the heart. You say, well, what kind of attitude are you talking about? I'm glad you asked that because it's answered here in verse 
7, he says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Now, how do we do that? Well, he, got, he, first, he starts with something here called love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I, I'm going to tell you real quick. Love is not, what he's saying here is you're, you and I are not to, we're not to cover up sin. But when we're not even supposed to condone it. But when it comes to us brothers in Christ, let me tell you what we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to expose it. Not to a lost and dying world. Now, this is where it comes difficult because it involves forgiving. You see, when you walk, you and I walk in the area of love, it, lo- the love that covers a multitude of sin is it's not that my wife, if I did something to offend my wife, that I shouldn't correct that and she just ought to accept that. But it does mean that she's not to walk out because I blew it. It's not supposed to do that. Because you see, if it's true love, then it does cover a multitude of sins. And it doesn't say what sin it is either. Now, some sins, you know, when it comes to overeating as opposed to shooting somebody in the head this morning, I'm surprised McLean don't come home and tell you guys. But I I got curious because have y'all ever noticed how the sweeping of our nation Kids are drawn to the computer and the phone. Have y'all noticed that? And it's getting worse. So I sat down today, and I took a little time this morning, and I was really in a hurry, but I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pay attention. So I went over there, and, and, and I said, McLean, you're barely awake, but you're so intent to this phone. I want to see what it is that you are intent to. And I got to looking at stuff, and I go, oh, my Lord. He said, now, Papa, it ain't that bad. I said, okay, show me a good one. And he showed me a good one, and, and, and it was just like the other one eventually. And he and I got to talking, and, and I could tell he was getting a little frustrated with me. And, 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 I, and I'm going, you know what? I thought to myself, we the church are missing it. If something, now, does anybody in here think a phone is evil? Raise your hand. Well, okay. But you're still using it, though, right? I think it's evil too, but it's, there's, I got one. Now, if I were to raise your hand up and say, no, I, I, I'm go, I got a Playboy book. It's in my office. Y'all want to come see it? Yeah, I don't think you'd kind of respect that. I think you'd say, buddy, well, you've lost your mind. And the reason, and I don't have one in my office. But what do you want me to clarify, McLean? He was playing. I don't know the name of the game. I said, the game you're playing, he said, it's like Fortnite. And and they're shooting and killing everybody. Blood going everywhere. Well, good night. The other day I went in a trailer at a birthday party and and, and Tyler was in there. Boy, he just, he was blowing people away. Guts flying everywhere, blood. I said, my Lord. And, and, and listen, this is sweeping the country. Fortnite, 
All these games that go like Fortnite, it's all about killing. And I told McLean, I said, is there not one here about shooting or killing? He said, yep, watch this one. And it was a golf cart, and it rolled off into a lake. And he got it back out and rolled it back in the lake. And it went 20 yards and started shooting people again. (laughs) The phone's not evil. Now, the playbook book is, okay? I got that. I wasn't trying to say that that wasn't. And the computers aren't evil. We all got them and we use them. But why can't somebody wake up in this world and come up with some Christian, not some Christian killing games, but something that's biblical so it would sweep the minds and put their minds on the Word of God? We're we're missing this somehow. I don't know if we can even do it. But there's one thing for sure that I know, and y'all, y'all should say amen to this. The kids are captivated by Fortnite. They're, it's sweeping our world. And some of you don't even know what's going on, and you need to sit down and watch that stuff. And, and you, you need to make some decisions and at least teach them that it ain't cool to kill somebody. Do whatever you got to do. I'm not condoning sin. On the ball field the other day, Gary was his team was playing and and they putting a, they was beating this other team pretty good, and I noticed this one guy in the ball cap man he just kept bouncing around there. It's an umpire's job to do that. I said, umpire job do what? That third base coach she should she just sent him in. I said, good night. He's so wound up, he needs to be handcuffed. He was hot. And you know why it was hot? Because his team was losing. He was mad. Now, look, we shouldn't act like that, guys. Now, I'm I'm very competitive in my heart, and I want to beat you when I'm on the field. If I'm playing golf, I'm not playing golf for my health. I'm playing golf to beat you. When I'm playing basketball, I'm not doing it. Just I'm there to get you. Lovingly, when you t- I go fishing with you, I'm going to try to catch more fish than you do. It, it don't matter what it is. I'm, I'm competitive. I was raised competitive. But I wasn't raised to be mean, rude, or ugly. We got to be real careful. Because, you know, softball, baseball, basketball, <clears throat> and, and Fortnite, and all these other things we get involved in. If you ain't careful... It'll drag you into a world that you never intended on going and acting with an attitude that you never intended on having. What does it mean to love covers a multitude of sin? It means that you and I should seek to protect one another, not destroy one another. Again, I've been here 30 years I've had different ways of people come and go. And in my heart right now, I love them all. But I tell you who I love to hang out with more than anybody, and it's the group that's here with me. If I'm going to wait, I'm not wasting time. If I'm going to spend time, I want to spend it with you. Now, some of you don't want to be around me because maybe you're doing things you don't want me to know. That's fine. Give me some good sermon material. But, hey, that's okay. 
If you don't want to be around me, I still love you. I still care. And by the way, I don't have it all right either. I make mistakes, sin. I do things just like you do. And, and, and I have one thing, my boots on the ground, God called me, and, and we'll look at that. Golly, this is running out of time. Let's look at the second one, and I, I may come back on this at another time. Is that okay? Because there's some good stuff in this. And I hope you don't feel spanked, but if, if we're not acting right and our attitudes are wrong, we ought to be spanked, including me. Amen? Verse 9. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal. Now, guys, if your wife's not cooking, that don't apply. Don't you come to my house. I need something to eat. My wife's quit. She's going to quit when the kids leave. Just accept it. (laughs) Who need a meal and a place to stay. Now, look, guys, that little kid needs my place, don't he? I love people. And, and, and my wife and I know we've taken in some strays. Oh, my Lord, we've gotten all kind of trouble. One went on a demonic rage on us, and I was working a job, and, and she come to the job, and I was up nailing rafters, and she said, you got to come home. I said, I'm working. She said, you got to come home. You don't understand. The person that we've taken in, we're providing meals and providing a house. She done went off the deep end. I said, okay. So I went home, and, uh, and we dealt with that the, the, with a loving way. But you and I, we, we've got to learn that even though we get to, and sometimes we're difficult, but sometimes we get around difficult people. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? And, and at least we classify them as difficult. The Bible does not give you and I the right to be mean, to be, to be rude, to be self-seeking or selfish. But you and I are supposed to be friendly. And, and, and Johnny Hunt made this statement, and I really didn't ever understand it, but he said, by nature, we're just not friendly people. We have to be taught how to be friendly. You know, we got our own little groups, and everybody got the little people in here you know. You got your little family, and we got all that. We, we love people, and we, but, but it's almost like we love the people we know. And there's a lot of people we don't know. But that doesn't mean we're not supposed to love them. And we're supposed to be friendly. Two guys were in the parking lot this week. They were coming to get the big tent in the back. I don't know what happened to the communication, but they, they didn't tell them what kind of truck to come get that tent in. Now, I drive a Dodge, but that particular job, Dodge was not going to take that. that. That's got to be over about 20000 or better. And when they set that thing down on the bumper, it started out looking good. But it ended up about four inches from the ground. They come four hours 
all the way from Jessup. Now, my intent was to study. I'll be honest. I, I needed to be in my office, but I said, you know what? I can't be rude to them. I got to try to help them. So we spent hours, several of us spent an hour, two hours trying to find somebody that would be willing to pull that thing all the way down to Jessup. That's all they needed, get that tent to Jessup. But I don't know what happened. Is the trailer back there? Well, see, yesterday was their event. They were supposed to have a tent crusade. So they got it worked out. But it would have been easy for me to just say, guys, I'm sorry, but if you're that dumb to come four hours and not. But I didn't. I said, guys, you're in the mess. <laughs> so I was making calls. You know, I found things I didn't know that people would do. And, and, and evidently, it got done. But I could have been rude. Because I felt like I, my time was, was important, and it was. It needed to be spent with them. And we got to talk about talk with them and find out some neat stuff and, and what God was doing in their lives. Young guys. Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 40, I assure you, when you did it to the least of my brothers, sisters, you were doing it to me. Every week. Some of you know this, some of you don't. We'll have anywhere from 70 to 80 people come to this campus. They don't come to this church, but they come to this campus. And I'm telling you something, they judge this campus on our volunteers, whether they have a smile on their face or whether they're ugly or rude. And, and they judge us by the way we treat them in the food ministry. We have a medical clinic. We're fixing to move again. <coughs> Piedmont Hospitals wanting to partner with us. And we're moving, moving over next to, anybody remember where Dr. Faulkner's office is at? That's where they want us to go. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> you think you've got things bad in your life? You need to go sit in that clinic just 10 minutes. 10 minutes. When you get to feeling like poor old me or... I wish they just go. You want to see some serious stuff? Now, the Bible says that we're supposed to be loving people and to care about people and to help them when they need the help. Now, that's a complicated way with the medical. I got news for you. But it gets complicated down there on the sports field. When we don't act right, when we don't do right. And ladies and gentlemen, we're supposed to love one another. Now, my wife will tell you real quick, I'm not the easiest man to live with. Sometimes I, I disagree with myself. But you know what? She has learned to love me. She's learned to put up with me. And we've been married 42 years, and I've only seen death in her eyes a few times for me. <laughs> Thank God Almighty. Because when you see death in that woman's eye toward me, it's a serious, you, you need to sit down, breathe a couple of times, and we get it worked out. 
Because I tell you what, I, when I grow old, I don't want to be without her. I heard the neatest testimony out of <clears throat> Ashley's the old grandmama, grandma, great-grandma. The grandmother, she said, when her husband, I got to meet him. He was such a gentleman. He was a cap- captain commander in New York for a fire station. And he was around all those stuff that we know of the past. And I, I got to meet that dude. And he was such a gentleman to me. But when he died, he looked at his wife. They'd been married 65 years, I think she said. And here's what he said. Will you go with me? I don't want to go without you. Now, some of us are dying to get away from one another. But he was dying, and he didn't want to leave without her. Now, to me, that's love. Un. Conditional love. And we need that for one another. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Father.